Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Advent. For those of you joining us uh, for the first time, uh, we're so glad you're here. In Advent, we do more than celebrate Christmas. We look forward to more than just gifts under a tree. We look back in awe and wonder of the Savior who came. And I hope that's been true for you this Advent season. In the midst of the hustle and the bustle of Christmas, it's easy to forget. It's easy to overlook, as it was the case on first Christmas, and miss the wonder of it all, who is Christ incarnate, God in flesh, creator and creation, united in perfect harmony to be our Savior and mediator. But more importantly, in Advent season, we look forward to his second coming, and we anticipate the return of our king, the Lion of Judah, who will completely eradicate sin and make all things new. And we are certain that he will return because the one who came in humility will come in glory. Amen? And today in our Advent series, we look at Simeon's song, which is also known by its Latin name, Nunc Dimittis, taken from the first few words of the Vulgate, which is the Greek translation of the Bible, and it simply means, now you let me depart. And in our brief time together, I was told that the children are in our midst for a reason, as reminders of, uh, as, if I go too long, don't let me know if I, I'm too long, okay? In our brief time together this morning, we want to f- actually unpack this phrase, waiting on the consolation of Israel. Because when you unpack the context, it sort of adds to the story, doesn't it? It's one thing to come in and watch the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king. But if you know the story, the context, then you realize it's more than what you thought. And that's actually what Luke is doing to his friend to whom he is writing to. 
You see, Luke is more than just a doctor, a historian, and a journalist. He's actually a theologian, and he is very familiar with the prophets, in particular the book of Isaiah, which we will unpack here in a little bit. Now, before we get there, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come now and bless the preaching of the word, that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts, we ask. That you would give us faith to see Christ this morning and to behold and treasure him, our king. And that you would give us faith to anticipate his return, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. In Luke chapter 2, the author introduces to us Simeon. Now, not much scholarly ink has been poured over this man I am pretty sure that you've not read too many devotionals or books about Simeon, but his testimony about Jesus and his prophecy to Mary have become a part of what is now biblical canon, and here are the reasons why. First, Simeon is depicted as a prophet. In verse 25, Luke borrows the phrase, the spirit of the Lord is upon me from prophet Isaiah to confirm Simeon's unique role as God's spokesperson, and therefore gives prophetic weight to his words. And later on, Luke will go on to say that Simeon received a divine revelation that the Messiah would indeed come before his death. And on the day that he met Joseph and Mary, when they were presenting Jesus at the temple, it was the Spirit of God that led him to the temple. Second, Simeon personifies the faithful Israel. Luke tells us that Simeon was a righteous and devout man, and it is a window into his faith and faithfulness. He loved the Lord with all of his heart and neighbor as himself, basically. And he lived out his days waiting for the coming of the consolation of Israel. Based on the textual clues, his anticipation of this Messiah was not something on the side that he did whenever he did his quiet time. Like, oh yeah, that's right, he's coming. Or he didn't need a special season like Advent to remember, oh yes, he is coming. No, it was the very central theme of his life. And it's safe to assume that in his conversations, in his life, in his daily going to the temple, he was longing for the coming of this king. The theme of waiting runs throughout the scripture. Adam and Eve, were told, waited for the coming of a promised champion who will crush the head of the serpent. Abraham waited for the heir in whom all peoples on earth would be blessed. Moses looked ahead to the true prophet who would lead his people out of a greater exodus than the one he did. King David believed that one day an eternal king will sit on the throne and with him true shalom. And Israelites living in Exile, long for the day that they can go back home and sing these songs of joy with God's people in the very place that God promised to give. And here in Simeon's days, God's people are under the yoke of Roman oppression, and they waited for the consolation of Israel to come and to deliver them from the plight that they were in. And you and I today, we wait too, don't we? We wait for the return of the king. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel, but what is that? Well, this idea, the consolation of Israel, has Old Testament roots. Let me unpack the context for us. 
Back in Isaiah 39, a Babylonian envoy comes to Judah, and Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah at the time, he received them warmly, too warmly, if you ask me. It was out of his pride that he gave them a VIP tour of his house, plus the armory and the storehouses. And the text goes on to say that there was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, for those of us north of 35, think of MTB Cribs, okay? And this did not please the Lord. So he sent his prophet Isaiah to rebuke Hezekiah, saying, Behold, and I quote, The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. And this is where things get sideways real quick. Hezekiah responds to these words with this. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Now there's a sense of humility as he submits to the Lord's judgment, then this is what we expect of a good king, which the Bible says uh, did what was right and good before God. But it's the next sentence where things go, huh? Because he says, well, at least there will be peace in my lifetime. He says, what you say is good. I submit, I surrender, I, I receive God's judgment. But hey, I'm going to be okay. If, they, if those words fall on my children, then tough luck on them. That's a you problem, as our children will today say. These are cold and chilling words of a heartless king who cared only for himself. And you can imagine the readers scratching their heads and wondering out loud, what? Really? Hezekiah? That's the best you can do? Apparently, pride wasn't your only sin. Thankfully... That is not the end of the story. Prophet Isaiah follows up with these words in the very next chapter. Now you have to understand that back then there weren't chapter divisions. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In fact, chapters 40 through 66 would be an expanded version of God's comfort to his people. This is what Luke has in mind when he writes about the consolation of Israel, the very thing that Simeon was waiting for. And notice that this comfort is multifaceted and holistic. First, it speaks to the emotional state the Lord has a tender word for his people. If you're going through something today or in this season, or it's been a very dark season for you, the Lord has a tender word for you. He knows, he sees, and he speaks words and life and truth to bring comfort into where you are. It is also situational in that the international conflict that was so ubiquitous at the time has come to an end, not for a season, but for good. It is also spiritual in that Israel's sins will be forgiven. Finally, 
It has all of us looking forward because it is eschatological in that the ultimate fulfillment of these words await that kingdom to come. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to know that something is not right about the world. Pastor Duke talked about this earlier. You know that there is darkness, much darkness in the world that you and I are part of. And your lived reality confirms what the Bible calls sin and the consequence of sin. The stress of life, the fear of crime in our city, the dread of a diagnosis, the disappointment of an unrealized dream, or the routine aches and pains of an aging body are all dashboard warning lights reminding us that something is wrong. And the good news of Christian faith is that God knows and he has done something about it. He has entered into our broken and messy world to restore and renew it for good. Simeon describes it in his own words in his song. He says, he that has come into the world is the light for the Gentiles. As the light of the world, he shows us the way. He reveals the truth. And he gives us life. It's what Jesus said of himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can know the Father or go to the Father unless they come through me, the light of the world. And one day he will return. And when he does, darkness will give way to light for good. Death will be no more. The curse of sin will be lifted. And we will sing a new song as God's people. And in the meantime, we are called to wait. I'll be honest, I don't like waiting. I am waiting challenged. I know this is not theologically true, but DC traffic has a way of undoing self sanctification in me. Okay? I'm convinced that the doctor's office and the airport security check line are like purgatories. <laughs> But waiting on the Lord is a spiritual discipline. And that in our waiting, the Lord meets us. And he uses our waiting to form in us Christ-like character. As we wait on the Lord in the midst of chaos and weariness of this world, God refines and matures our faith. He teaches us humility. He teaches us patience, and perseverance. And thank God that there's grace in our waiting. Amen? But what does waiting look like? And we'll wrap up with this thought this morning. Luke here gives us an important hint. Notice, let's go back to the story of Simeon. He did not sing the song, Nunc Dimittis, and say, I have seen the Lord's salvation when he first went to the temple with the prompting of the Spirit. He didn't walk in the Gentile court singing the song, I have seen. And it wasn't even when he saw Joseph and Mary presenting their son, Jesus, that Simeon said, I have seen. When did he see the Lord's light, the glory of Israel? It was when he beheld him in his arms. You see, this is one of those mysteries of Christian faith. Unless you behold and treasure this king, this savior, in your heart, you're not going to see him. You know how many people walked past Jesus on that day when Joseph and Mary brought their son? 
He was hidden in plain sight. People didn't recognize. They did not see because they did not treasure this child in their heart. And so God's people, as you wait the return of the king, let me challenge you to keep him front and center and near to your heart, that he would be your treasure in this season and in every season, so that as you love him, you will anticipate and long all the more for his return. And in the meantime, you get to taste that light, see that glory being worked out in your own heart, in your community, and in your mission as you seek the beauty of this city and beyond. So friends, in this Advent season, join me in beholding our Savior. Let's hold Him and let's lay hold of Him and let's treasure Him until He becomes the very longing of our hearts. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have come into the world to be our light, to be our truth, the way and life, and glory, and everything else that our hearts long for. And Lord, we need grace for that. There are so many things that compete for our affection. We confess that we treasure so many other things. Lord, loosen our grip on these things. Give us faith to latch on to Christ. Teach us to treasure him today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.